Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclists. Welcome to another episode of Something for the Turbo. Thank you for joining us again. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe, leave a review, tell all your cycling friends. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Do check out some of our previous episodes if you enjoy this one. We've managed to catch up with some brilliant people from all around the cycling world. So we hope you enjoy it. And as ever, make sure you do spread the word. Also, if you haven't yet got yourself onto the hub, please make sure you check it out. You can either go to unfound.cc or you can download the Unfound app from Google Play or the App Store. You can register for free and network with cyclists from all over the world. You can share rides, articles, photos, stories, ask questions and do all the other sort of social media kind of stuff on there. Anyway, join us. We'd love to see you on there and we should probably crack on with the show. Today, I caught up with charismatic former pro rider, team manager, top coach and founder of the innovative Spatsware, Tom Barras. Tom and I have a, a really good chat through his racing career, taking on some of the biggest races in the world while living in Belgium before returning to the UK to race domestically, picking up over 100 wins in the process. He set up a successful coaching career and worked with athletes such as Tom Pidcock, as well as launching Spatsware. We discuss his unique approach to solving issues and problems to produce their brilliant range of products. Anyway, he's a, a real character. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. We talk about all this, plus racing in the Bahamas and loads more. So without further ado, let me bring it on. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. How are you getting on? You good? I'm very well, thank you. A little bit hot, but apart from that, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's bloody sweaty. I tell you, I, I lived in Asia for 10 years and don't think I've had as an uncomfortable a night's sleep as I had last night. It was, uh, I'm missing the aircon. And now we've had a we've had a couple of bad nights and a what thirteen week old baby and a three year old thrown in a mix don't help. Thirteen weeks, blimey! <laughs> Jeez, yeah, yeah, you're in the danger zone and three as well. How's the three year old getting on? Well, he's great. I mean, he's great. But he doesn't like sleeping, so we've been up. No. You know, standard night is up three or four times in the night with him, and then that's Leo, and then little Grace is thirteen weeks, and she's she's great. She's no trouble, but you know, she um, she likes to cry in the middle of the night. Yeah, I bet she does. I bet she does. Oh, fantastic! Oh, congratulations! Thank that's you huge. very much. It's that's huge. huge. Well, if it's any consolation, mine are six and four, and they're still not really sleeping through the night. They were up last night, so you've got a few years to go yet. No, no. <laughs> the last thing you want to hear. No. Cool. Well, we should probably crack on. We've got a tremendous amount to to chat about today. Should we Should we go back to the back to the beginning and then talk talk through your your background and your racing background, and then come on to Spats and obviously the the product you're most well known for, but also some of the new cool things you're doing at the moment. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So you're actually from a from a cycling background, aren't you? Yeah, cycling family. Cycling family, yeah. Granddad was a bike rider and then, ah. yeah, dad was a, a pro bike rider for 18 years, multinational champion. And, Champ, yeah. M- many wins as well. Hundreds of wins. I think 385 pro wins, but bloody hell. I might, you, might have to, uh, you might have to uh, Google that. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, he won some bike races, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously cycling was in the, in the blood. Were you always destined to to ride, uh, race or Um I, well, I certainly wasn't pushed into it. Uh, okay. I just, you know, I spent my childhood going to races 2, 3, 4 days a week. You know, in the 80s the criterium scene was massive that my dad was really prominent in. Certainly, you know, like the Kellogg's uh, crit series every year. Yeah, yeah. And you know, my dad was one of the big players in that and I remember standing week in week out with my head through the barriers watching my dad racing and Brilliant. it wasn't you know for, I loved it back then but there wasn't much chance that it wasn't 
it was going to be something I was going to pursue. Yeah. It's just in the blood from, you know, from birth. Three three generations of it now. Yeah, but then mum um, and dad were sort of aware that I needed an education. Unfortunately, they sort of encouraged me to get a decent education first before I threw myself into cycling full work. Yeah, that, that's kind of an... I, I suppose when you were coming through, it's probably less unusual, or, yeah. or certainly nowadays, I suppose the pros are going straight in from they school. Are. They are, yeah. but there's more, there's more money about now. It's more lucrative now. But when yeah. I was leaving school in sort of 95, 96, yeah. to be a pro in the UK, you weren't looking at earning a lot of money. No. You had to go abroad, which is, which is what I did. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I rode for various teams. And I think the most I I'd spent six years of my life racing out in Belgium. And I think despite the fact they were all UCI teams, I think the most I earned was 200 euros a month. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, you know, I'm fortunate that I had my education behind me. So I went, yeah, I went to, um, studied industrial design at Loughborough University between 97 and 2000. And that has sort of all, it's all sort of fallen into place really with spats. Okay. Yeah, it all works pretty well. Yeah. So just go back to the race bit. Did, so did you, you raced while you were at uni or you I went out to Yeah, I raced. Off? I never missed a bike race all the way through uni. And then, I mean, I was winning rounds of the under 23 national series in the first and second year and then the third year i rode for linda mccartney pro cycling team which was wow. uh, that was mega that was really good yeah. i think it kind of kept me on the straight and narrow, narrow a little bit because it let me focus on getting a decent degree and riding my bike rather than just drinking a horrendous amount of beer getting out on the beers yeah. <laughs> which i did yeah. as well obviously but yeah, yeah. it worked really well so and yeah so as i said i never missed a bike race through uni i, I loved it that's brilliant so you went out you went out to belgium after yeah after uni. straight out to belgium so i graduated yeah. in may of 2000 uh yeah. and then went straight out to the tour of serbia the week after with linda mccartney Amazing. totally unfit that was a month after you know a month i did I, I spent a month working on my dissertation didn't touch my bike for a month and then went straight out and the first time i'd ridden it was the first stage of the Tour of Serbia. I think I had five weeks off the bike. That was, uh, yeah. Not the Welcome best preparation. Racing, but that was fun. <laughs> yeah, not the best preparation. Learn, yeah, learn how to uh, operate in a Grappetto, put it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent my whole racing life in a Grappetto. But, um, uh, and uh, so, yeah, so, so talk us about, you were living in Belgium then, so you actually moved out there. Yeah, I, I, so 2000 Linda McCartney, that was the under 23 team. And then I did a stagiaire with them, she like a trial period with them, with the pro team back end of 2000 yeah. and then i was going to graduate to the pro team for the start of 2001 which was then i think linda mccartney jacobs creek jaguar which was going to yeah, be yeah, a yeah. big british based but international pro team which was the dream yeah, yeah and it just fell apart it just fell apart in january 2001 and i was left with nothing so i picked up the phone and rang a friend of mine or a friend of mine now i didn't really know him at the time but ex-national pro champ guy called tim harris and i just rang him up out of the blue and said look this is who i am this is what i want to do i want teams falling apart and i want to come and try and be a pro bike rider in belgium can you help me out he put me in contact with a guy called gilbert who was running an australian team living in belgium called team down under okay and um he put me in touch with him and that was it. The next thing I knew, sort of February 2001, I drove out to Belgium in my 20-year-old car and a bag, the usual story, not much money in my pocket. And, and that was it. I tried to make it as a pro. And I ended up riding for that same team through its various guises until 2006. And, and what was that like? I mean, how, how was your 
your French and your Flemish? Was it non-existent at um, the time? It was non-existent when I went there. French yeah. is still non-existent despite studying it at school. Yeah. And then, I can, you know, I can sort of get by with a little bit of Flemish and Dutch. Um, but I absolutely loved it out there. I mean, it was six brilliant years. Great experience. Right? Loved it. I wouldn't change it for yeah. the world. Uh, yeah. You know, I just, I just you know, gave everything into trying to be a pro bike rider. Hard at times as well, I imagine. It's very, very hard, yeah. I think, and yeah. you know, I think people now are only sort of really realising the effect it has on your on your mental health. Um, yeah. I think back then you just you just had to be hard. You know, you saw yourself as it was like this baptism of fire and you just had to be tough and not crack. Yeah, I it, suppose that, yeah, mental health awareness wasn't really... It wasn't a thing. About. It wasn't a thing. No, it wasn't I, a thing, yeah. It wasn't, I remember, you know, riding races with the the best riders in the world and just thinking jesus this is you know this is you know you might be in the in the back echelon in like you know ronda van drenthe or something like that thinking this is this is serious how do, you know this is tough <laughs> yeah yeah um but no i mean i wouldn't change the world and i think it, i think that mental toughness is something that you know gets you through other stages of your life yeah, well, come on. I'm sure it's helped you a lot with the business as well. But in, in terms of your time there, what were your sort of happiest memories, happiest, best races and, and any, any stick out? One of my, what a really sort of prominent memory was the Tora Qingai Lake in 2004 or five, obviously okay. in China, which is, yeah, yeah. at the time, I think it was the fourth richest race in the world behind the Grand Tours. Um, I think Conego won it one year, which kind of shows how hard it is. I, think, I can't remember this a long time ago. It was something like two weeks long, 10 days or two weeks long, and it was just ridiculously hard, but a ridiculously high-level race. And I just remember it was, you know, I look back at it with fond memories, but I remember, I remember starting a, a stage at 2,000 metres and just climbing to the finish. So the finish, like, you know, coming from... Belgium, we just couldn't breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty high up there. Yeah, pretty amazing. High. Beautiful part of the world, right? Beautiful part of the world, yeah. But a lot of it was, you know, things that a lad from Keithley and then living in Belgium had never seen before. Yeah, I can well imagine. I saw you, but you saw some sights over there. It certainly did. Um, very good. And, and what about sort of the the riders that you raced against and with anyone that sort of stood out as sort of next level um, talent? I think, I think the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, sort of performance-wise, was Jens Voigt. We okay. Were, when he was at CSC, we rode a race called TEAG Hainlet in Germany. And it was about three or four weeks after the tour. Yeah. And it was like a typical, I mean, we were, we were a use, what we were UCI Conti team. I think we were either, either DFL or Cycling News then, something like that, or DFL Cycling News, the team was called. So we were like one of the smaller teams riding against the likes of Rabobank and CSC and everyone. Yeah. Amazing. And I remember being, it, it was a typical pro race. So it would be something like 150K out and back. And then five or ten small laps of, of the finishing town. And I remember being on this climb next to Jens Voigt with a couple of laps to go, thinking, wow, this is this is cool. Yeah. And he just I just he just banged it in the big ring, just kinda next to me, maybe twentieth, thirtieth wheel, rode up the side of the bunch and just rode away and won solo by thirty seconds. And I rem- I remember thinking, Jesus, this is like, this is serious. That's how. Oh, that's yeah, how right. good. You know, this is that's the difference between you know a professional rider and the you know tour stage winning top, absolute top pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Class above. Class above. Class above. Yeah. So in 2006, you, you, did you come back to the UK then? Am I right in saying? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I I had another stagiaire when I was out there with Palmans Colstrop, which went on to then be Vacon Soleil, and then now it's Wanty Group Gobert. 
And so I was stagiaire with them, and that was kind of the nearest I got to then being, you know, fully fledged professional. Yeah, yeah. And it was touch and go. They, they kind of offered me a contract, and then they didn't. I was thinking, oh, am I going to get a ride here? And then in the end, I didn't. And I was like, right, I can't progress anymore here. I'm giving this everything. I think at the time I was about 27. And I dedicated six years of my life to this project on, you know, very little money. Um, I and mean, I was funding my so-called pro career by building websites all the way through. I read that, yeah. So in the time my teammates were, you know, on whatever social media it was back then, I was building websites for companies. Amazing. Uh, and I, but I, you know, I had quite a meager but fun existence. But and I, I had um, a girlfriend at the time who then went on to be my wife, Olivia. Okay. Um, she came out and lived with me for a period in that last year, and I just decided that, that was it. I'd gone as far as I could go, and it was time to come home and kind of start a, a more of a normal life. And that's when the idea of spats first came around, was it? When when you the, the idea of spats probably came about maybe two thousand four, two thousand five, when I was training in the UK in the winter. I was going back to my mum and dad's in Keithley. Yeah, and again, I was funding my cycling career by working at an online bike shop in Keithley. So right. I was working three days a week. So the four days of the week I had to train. I felt like I had to go and do five and a half or six hours in the day, which I was doing religiously just to try and yeah. improve. Yeah. But if you've only got three or four days a week to train, you, you can't let the weather beat you. You've got, to, you've got to go and do it. Rain or shine. Rain or shine. And I was going out over like Fleet Moss and Tate and Fell and the Nick of Pendle and all these big climbs in the north and just getting it done. But I remember having to cut ride short because my feet were just too cold. Yeah. And I'm sat, staring, I'm sat staring at my front wheel just kicking water up at my shins. And I thought, you know, Jesus, like, it isn't my feet that are the problem here. It's the water coming off my front wheel, mudguard or no mudguard, hitting my feet and my shins. The water's going down my tights, in, regardless of what overshoes I've got on, into my tights, down into my socks and shoes, and everything's cold. So I was using carrier bags and bits of rubber. Tin foil. Cling film, yeah, tin foil. Yeah. Anything I could to keep my feet warm and it just wasn't working so i did i did some drawings got my pencils out and did some drawings you know that i hadn't done since i'd graduated yeah i had this idea and i made some prototypes out of motorbike inner tubes <laughs> they were, yeah that would just they just weren't very good because the, the the materials this is 2005 2006 the materials just weren't really there yeah yeah yeah. but i still had the drawings and then yeah so that kind of just went on the back burner i didn't really show anyone them which is good yeah. So that was it. That was like the seed. Ah, I didn't realize. And then you sort of parked it or you just sort of kept parked thinking about it over the next few years? Yeah. Parked it up, started a website business in the start of 2007, okay. thinking, right, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to go into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started coaching some riders as well, hence the, my coaching company now. Yeah. And then, yeah, put, put the overshoes to bed really for, for a while. And then just focused on building websites, trying to make a career in, in web design. And then I got the bug racing again. So 2007... I started racing for a team called Merlin, Merlin Titanium Bikes. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And they said, oh, you know, will you come and ride for us? And I was thinking, well, I've kind of had enough of this. You know, I've dedicated my life forever to this. Yeah. But I'll give it a go. And then April, May, I started winning, which was new to me because I hadn't won in Belgium. The best I had in Belgium was a third in a interclub. Well, a national, what was it? A elite. I can't remember what it was. It was a, it was ones above an, a commess that are 140 k long. 
okay. and that's the nearest. I remember Jeffrey de Meyer won it, and I was nearly beat him, and I just couldn't beat him. But that would have been my win. So I'd never won in Belgium. Wow. Okay. So then to come back and win straight away in England, it sort of reignited the fire in me. Yeah, yeah. And I started loving cycling again, and and that you know that. And why kind not? Of, I mean, I yeah, didn't well, realize yeah, yeah, you absolutely. had won. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I was training hard, but it wasn't it wasn't the focus, and maybe that helped. I was going to say, yeah. Do you think it took the pressure off yourself? A I think little so. Bit? Yeah, because it wasn't the focus. I was just training. You know, I was doing things like a couple of hours in the morning, working all afternoon, and then going on the chain gang. And then, I, you know, I was occasionally, I don't know, every now and again I was winning. So then 2008, I got a ride with Plowman Craven Professional Cycling, which was brilliant. And that was it. I was, you know, I was then a, a paid professional, which was, which was mega. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting way around, sort of random path to uh, to getting to your professional contract. It is, it is. But all this time, I'd never been a full time rider. I'd always funded, always funded it with web design and then coaching. And I think that's stood me in good stead. And I think that's something that a lot of young riders get wrong. Yeah. Yeah, having that outside uh, focus. I think Yanto mentioned that as well when I had him on here, having that sort of yeah. his second career, I suppose. Exactly. Well, there's a lot of crossover between me and Yanto, right back from Belgium. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you guys must have raced and come Yeah, through. well, we did. We, we did. I mean, I yeah, I've known Yanto years. And yeah, I, I actually built LeCol.net originally with Yanto, yeah, right at the start, yeah. It's yeah, a small world. Before it's he took over the world. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Now, I just I just thought there we sort of briefly sort of introduced Spats, but for, for those people further afield uh, who might not have come across the product, tell us a little bit about about it and what makes them different and articulate how they are different. I mean, the Spats I, overshoes. Yeah. Let's yeah, start with the overshoes, yeah. Okay. It's a fle- very flexible neoprene overshoe, which sits very, very closely against your shoe ankle, but then fundamentally right up to your knee. So the key with this is, let's say in, in the middle of winter, when your radiators start freezing, what do you do? You lag your pipes. You keep the pipes warm, yeah. right? If you insulate your pipes, your radiators won't freeze. And the same goes for your feet and your hands. If you keep the blood vessels and the blood flow warm in your lower limbs, your feet will stay warm. That's just a fact because all the heat is coming out through your, you know, through your calves. That's where the blood, I and mean, if you look at, your, you know, you look at your legs, there's veins all down the outside of your legs. Yeah, of course. So that's key to the design of the spots, but also, Going back to what I said about the initial design, when you're cycling, not only is the cold wind hitting your shins constantly, but so is all the water from the spray off your front wheel. Yeah. So it's kind of threefold. And I'm just absolutely shocked that no one had done this before. Hence why it took me from... I started looking at this at 2016 properly, and I spent a lot of time and money looking at IP and still do, just to make sure that the, the, the design's protected. Yeah, and it is, right? It's, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and you course, can yeah. see there's various brands have gone near. Yeah. But um, I mean, I'm not going to go into the detail, but without, you know, stepping on my toes, if you'll pardon the pun, yeah. there's certain things they can't do. Yeah. And we, we yeah. work very closely with a patent attorney to make sure that everything's done properly. And this is, yeah, this is, this isn't just for the overshoes. This is all the way through. All the way through the range, yeah. All the way so, through the range, yeah. Well, let, let's let's go on to that. I mean, for, for those of you listening who who ride anywhere in wet weather um, and cold weather, because you've got various heights uh, of spats as well, haven't you? you? Do, different do. different versions. I, I I I famously like to be totally agnostic with regards to 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 brand and everything on on the platform and on the podcast. But having having moved back to UK, I was mostly worried about riding in the winter for the first time in a decade, and I, and I, I invested in some spats, and they are absolutely brilliant piece of kit. They really are cool. fantastic. That's great to hear. Yeah, no, they are fantastic. I absolutely love them. Actually, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. That's good to hear. The, the first one we did, the original Spats Pro. I mean, I've got various pairs of these and samples as well. If you put it on now, four years on, 
it's still a really good product. But the new ones, I mean, we don't on to like iteration five of these. Now, the new ones are just next level. So we've, we've another one coming out in November, which is just blows everything out of the water again. Oh, really? Well, you tweaked the design, have you? We tweaked the design. So we've got the Pro. We had the Pro. Yeah. And that's now kind of gone. Okay. We've got the Pro 2, which is a current, uh, a current product, which is fully fleece-insulated, armoured neoprene, Kevlar down the inside. That's like our flag- flagship model. Yeah. We've then the Roadman, which is more of a nod to commuters, so really reflective, uh, 3M reflective coating all the way around, really well sealed from the rain all around your foot and thermal in the shin only. And then we've got the Legals, which is what you touched on, which is the the version which is UCI legal for racing. Ah, because they're just the, the the taller ones are just too aerodynamic too wrong, to be yeah. yeah to be um, race legal. Blimey, can you hear that? That's thunder. You get that? Is it? Where are you yeah. sat now? I sat down in London. Right. That's a massive, uh, massive, massive uh, strike of lightning. Yeah, awesome. And I know that they've been hugely successful, right? You're selling them all around the world. And a number of the pros are. are swearing by them as well, aren't they? Yes. we've. Yes. I think the pro thing gave us a real head start. And I think the first guy to really get behind it was Mark Cavendish. Was he? Okay, yeah. Um, and he just sent me a picture of him racing in them at Dimension Data. And he sent me a text just saying, Tom, this is the best garment yeah. ever used ever yeah. developed since the Castelli Gabba. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just blow me away. Yeah, and and everyone's been wearing them since, right? I, I yeah. saw um, in Harrogate, well, everyone was wearing them, it seemed. Everyone's wearing it. I mean, it's brilliant. The thing is that the pros, you know, if, 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 a, if a top pro comes to me and says, can I have some overshoes? Yeah, sure, of course you can. Yeah. But like the likes of Van Avermaet are buying them. Yeah. So people keep tagging them. Yeah. yeah, they're buying them. People keep tagging me in this trade, like, if a team goes and does a recce of Flanders or Roubaix, like CCC or Quick Step, yeah. I get tagged in pictures, and all like all my heroes are wearing them. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't Mega. it? I actually That's thought you brilliant. might sponsor the Belgian no, team. No, I've not at all. Guys up there. They're, They're all wearing, wearing them. them. I know. I yeah. mean, I've got video. I've got videos and pictures of you know all, all the top guys wearing them. Yeah, it's mega. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, yeah, I'm you know I'm very proud of that because that's what that's what I developed them for. But if yeah, someone so, like you know someone like Van Avermaet um, or Eve Lampard or you know the, I mean the list just goes on and on. Um, Don, John Degenkolb, Jasper Stuyven, they're all training them and they're not hiding it. Great, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be super proud. You know, obviously you've had a, a great career as a you know winning over a hundred races. You raced across Europe, but also going back to your your degree, right? It's all sort of come across. You know, all come together beautifully. It's strange, really. Yeah, it's 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 strange how what I'm doing now has been kind of influenced by what all, all the things that I've done. So even the coaching, you know, I'm, I'm, I kind of, the, I, I, the coaching is my income really. I don't take a lot out of spats. Okay. But I operate and, and train and ride with a group of top pro riders, which I have to do if I'm going to keep my finger on the pulse of, you know, techn- clothing technology and fabrics, but also the training. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's um, I was talking about it today actually. Everything that I've done, even some of the jobs I've done that weren't particularly glamorous, you know, like when I worked in at the um, at the online bike shop in Keithley, it was like it was called Expedia. This is sort of two thousand one, two, one of the first big online stores. And I was packing boxes and taking credit card details and listing products on the internet. And that's just what I do now. Yes, it's relevant, right? Yeah, it's it's, re- it's really relevant. And just learning how to speak to customers. You know, that wasn't a glamorous job as much as I enjoyed it. I was just the, you know, I started off as the lad in the back packing the boxes. Yeah, amazing, amazing. That's pretty cool. I love it. So obviously, Spats has been a massive success, and as, as you just mentioned, sort of pros from around the world have been using them and and uh, and loving them. I will, we'll put all the details obviously in the show notes. But you ship worldwide. 
for, for we everyone ship, that wants We to ship worldwide from yeah. our website, spatsware.com. Yep. But we work we sell to retail in the UK. Okay. Um, we've got some really good uh, retailers. I won't mention them, any of them in case I miss any out. Um, but with some real top-end um, British retailers. But then we have distribution all over the world. So we've got Denmark, Sweden, um, Benelux, um, France, uh, Norway, Australia now, Germany. Yeah, it's, it's growing really, really fast. So it's they're all like, you know, these are our sort of tentacles sort of spreading out over the world. Um, and we've just, we've just arranged to a, a distribution, a distributor in Australia and New Zealand, which is brilliant. Amazing. Um, what about the US? Have you got anyone in the US what, yet? We, we're speaking to a couple in the US. Yeah. US, the US obviously is challenging. Yeah. And it's whether you say, right, we're going to go to a distributor. Yeah whether we're going to go to a big retailer that covers the whole nation or whether we're going to take on agents. Of course, yeah. You know, the problem yeah. then is do you employ people? Do you, you know, do you do it on a contract basis? It's it's all quite complicated. Yeah. But the first distributor we went to was uh, Conimex in Belgium and that covered all the Benelux and the, the success was just amazing. Yeah. Because obviously out there, they, they just get cycling and everyone wants to ride in the cold and the rain and this yeah, just, exactly. it just fit Benelux tree. For, it's it? what they're built for. It's what they're built for. Exactly. And also with me living there, it's, it's, you know, it's where I saw my products as much as in the UK. Yeah. It's where you dreamt them up, right? It's yeah, where I dreamt them up. It's where, yeah. Them, so yeah. it's, you know, it, and, and so then we, you, we use the Conimex, uh, Benelux distribute as a model for the other distributors. So then, you know, then we went to Denmark, found one in Denmark, um, then went to France and it just goes on and on. But you've got to find the right people. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and it's got to be right people way. who are cyclists through and through because they've got to get yeah, the product. Understand it. Yeah, and yeah. they've got to be able to describe the product. You know, if you go, if you walk into a shop and say, oh, "I do want to buy some overshoes," no one's going to be that keen. But if you if you're showing them pictures of you know the absolute best riders in the world, choosing to wear them in the top races in the world and in you know wreckage of Pyro Bay, you just go right, yeah, this is it. This is you know this is this is serious. Yeah, I mean they are a game changing piece of kit. In fact, I had I had someone from Norway on um, last week, and uh, I actually was thinking about your products because. From, from going from the overshoe, you, you've actually branched out to a few other things, including gloves, haven't you? What, what, what came after the overshoe? Well, 2017 was year one, yeah. and that was just the pro overshoe. Yeah. Year two was we introduced the bases base layer, which ah, I, okay. again is something I can't believe no one's done before. can't believe no one's done a cycling base layer with a drop, a drop rear, high front, thumb loops, high neck, and fabric that traps air. Can't believe no one's done it. So the basis was product number two, and then we introduced the Legals overshoe and the Roadman overshoe. So we went went from one to four products. Yeah. And then year three we went up to eight or nine. Fantastic. And then year four now we're going from I think eight or nine up to sixteen or seventeen, depending on whether I can get the design absolutely right on the last two. Oh wow! Okay. It takes a while. So obviously get, getting the design right, and and has COVID affected sort of supply? Yes. Yes, it did slow us down, but we were very fortunate that the batches that we had on order we weren't absolutely desperate for. Okay, so, you see so we were a little bit concerned: is it going to is is COVID going to you know April this year? We were thinking, right, is this going to kill us off? Are people going to not ride bikes? Are they going to not buy overshoes and extreme weather cycling clothes? And fortunately, quite the opposite happened, and people needed our kit to be able to ride to work. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So the people who were going to work you know, in, in the car 20 miles away were actually by going and spending a grand on a bike 
on the ride to work scheme, and then they were buying overshoes and and gloves. Yeah, 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 of course. And then so we've uh, we've a glove in the line now, which is something that no one's really done before. We call it the gloves, and it's got a little wind stopping layer that falls out of the top of the glove to make your four finger gloves into a two finger glove like a lobster claw lobster see that's what hans was t- talking to me um about yesterday he's obviously because they, they i think they'll ride into sort of min- minus 16 in the winter for those guys right yeah so they, they have these that's what he's telling me about so so yours is five fingers and then it has a bit over exactly, the top right? exactly yeah so five think it's we marketed it as a race glove because I was just sick and tired of riding in gloves that you couldn't, you're either, they're either thin and tactile and felt great and they were cold. Yeah. Or they were warm, but you had no kind of feel on the bars and the brakes and the shifters. They were like yeah. wearing a pair of gloves. Yeah. So yeah. what we've done, we've made it, we've developed a really thin, grippy, tactile glove with loads of dexterity yeah. that you could, that you could, start a racing or a training ride in and then when it gets really cold if it starts to rain you can pull this extra layer out from over the top of your hand you don't know it's there it just falls away pull it out and over your fingers and you've got an extra wind stopping layer to just, but it also keeps your two fingers together for warmth yeah which gives you the warmth that's genius yeah so they're the spats gloves we launched those last year they've been a real success for us yeah. and then we've two more versions coming this winter of those so the, another two versions have come in in a month okay and how do the versions differ are they do like different warmth levels or exactly so this that one i've just described is the race glove okay and then we've done a, an iteration of that we've kind of developed that into a deep winter glove excellent so everyone who's listening in norway and scandinavia Perfect. for the winter and then yeah. we've done a rain glove as well so that's just specifically cold rainy days yeah amazing amazing and then there's no excuse not to ride right i suppose and that's your whole mantra that's exactly it it's raining we're training <laughs> it's raining we're training i like that very good very good and, what, and what's the plan obviously from from 8 to 16 products that's a massive jump up what what's the plan sort of going into 2021 22 23 where, where do you see things going we i think we just have to keep momentum yeah. And I have to just keep a cool head because it's, you know, from someone, I mean, I was managing a cycling team in 2015. Yeah. General manager, right? Yeah. I was, yeah, I was managing DS in NFTO. Yeah. In 2015. Sorry, 16. 16. I, ret- I retired from NFTO cycling as a rider in 2015 and then I managed the team in 2016, yeah. which was better. And then that went under when the sponsors pull out at the start of 2017. I remember, yeah. And that's when SPAT started. So that's when I got the drawings out and went right. I so at that time, so January the first, twenty seventeen, I had no income and the pregnant wife and the mortgage and two cats, three cats at the time, two cars, you know. And it was like, what am I going to do now? And I got the drawings out, went down to Leeds Market, bought a sewing machine, bought a lot of neoprene, uh, and just cracked on. That was it, and it started from that day. I love that. So it wasn't. I thought it was sort of you, you finished up and. Now's the opportunity to do Not it. Not at all. It was, it was done. Necessity. No, it was done out of necessity. And that's one of the strap lines on our website. Like everything's done out of necessity. So the, the yeah. overshoes were a necessity. The gloves were a necessity. The base layers were a necessity. But actually doing spats was a necessity because I needed the next chapter of my life. Yeah. You know, I'd yeah. run the guts out of cycling. I was, when I retired, I was 30, 37 at NFTO. Yeah. And I managed to win one race and I helped the lads out a lot. I had a brilliant time. But I wasn't getting. It was clear that I wasn't recovering between races. I was. I was getting old. Yeah. Was was that what it is? The recovery was the key thing, rather than the recovery. Sort of I think the, the thing is, when you're in your twenties, you can go and race really hard on a Sunday, and then you might rest on Monday, but Tuesday you're ready to go again. 
back on it. Yeah. Get you back on it. So you can go and train really hard on a Tuesday. When you're 37 or when I was 37, I could go and yeah. race all right on a Sunday. And I might be a useful team rider or I might even win on my day. Yeah. But Tuesday, I was still fatigued. Still buggered. Yeah, and you had a little one. Then, so, then, so then you train on Wednesday. You train hard Wednesday. But then yeah. Thursday, you think, well, if I train hard again, am I going to be knackered for Sunday again? Yeah. So yeah, then it's yeah. a spiral of kind of getting less fit. Yeah, it's interesting. So, but then, you know, with the coaching now, it's really interesting how different people respond and how, you know, how you can treat older athletes differently. Yeah, so tell us about the, the coaching business. Obviously, that you, you set that up at the same time, you sort of kick, kick spats. Um, uh, yeah. Okay with spats, but how's that work? We can put the details in the show notes as well. People can get in contact with you, but talk us through some of the athletes you're working with, what kind of level, how it works. The coaching started unofficially in maybe 2000, 2001 when people, I was really into my training. And you know, logging training is heart rate back then. Um, yeah. And other riders were asking me to coach them. Interesting. Just sort of unofficially, and I was helping other riders out, and it just grew from that. And then 2007, I started training pro.co.uk. That's um, my training coaching website. Went and did a qualification in it. And then, yeah, so that's kind of pays the mortgage. And I, re- yeah. I really, really enjoy the coaching. I coached maybe half of the NFTO pro cycling team. I have a good number of clients now. Really enjoy, really enjoy seeing them improve. I really enjoy dealing with different people um, with different challenges. I think the most famous famous client of mine was Tom Pidcock up until very oh, recently. Wow. Right. Um, he's kind of my star rider as as, yeah. as well as you know a good number of the domestic pros. Um, but yeah, I coached Tom through to his world championship success last year. So that was the, the dream, really, for a coach. Yeah, well, it must be so. I mean, how does it must be super satisfying? And satisfying. Well, the thing is with yeah. Tom, he, I've known him years, and I've I coached his dad for years. But his dad just came to me maybe three or four years ago and said, "Look, Tom needs some guidance. Can you coach him?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, but what can you do?" This is like the prodigal son. So you, you know, knew was, then that he was sort of next we level knew we knew because he was winning. He was winning. He was kind of winning when he wants to. Yeah. But the thing with Tom is, he, he was world under 23 time trial champion, I think, at sort of 55 kilograms. And he can win He can win a mountain stage, he can win a cycle across race, he can win a time trial, he can win a cobbled race. Yeah. He can win a mountain bike race. So it was a lot of pressure on me because I had to keep yeah. him on this trajectory and hopefully improve that trajectory. It's just staggering. staggering versus it's staggering. It's absolutely staggering because I then got the challenge of, right, how do I push him enough so that he improves, give him enough sort of stimulation that he improves without him absolutely cracking physically or mentally and just being someone who doesn't improve past 21. God, you've got to give him enough of a stimulus to improve. Yeah. That's the thing. And then fortunately, luckily, you know, there's a lot of judgment involved and there was his team manager, Kurt, involved, keeping an eye on what we were doing. But everything he wanted to win, he won. Yeah. And he'd ring me saying, oh, you know, what should I do? I'm not sure about this. You know, I'm feeling a bit tired or you know, got a bit of a tickly throat. And I'd say, right, do this, 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 and this. You know, go into it with some confidence, whatever. Get a good warm-up, the normal stuff. You know, you know you can do this. Bit of a pep talk. Next day, he goes and wins the Worlds or the European Championships or whatever it is he wants to win. Yeah. Phenomenal. But, I mean, he's a human being. Of course. You know, he has his doubts and he, ha- and he gets tired and like everyone else. But he, I think the thing with him is he can just absorb training. I was just going to say to you, he absorbs training and, and he's he's a good listener. I think that's a that's key as well, right? He's a bright lad. Yeah. And he's a good yeah. listener, yeah. And he can, you know, he can take on information, process yeah. it and go and do the work, which some people perhaps at his age can't. So there's a yeah. massive amount of maturity there. Yeah. 
wanting to learn as well mm. yeah absolutely and, and, i mean i suppose that the world is always so, so exciting to, to watch him over the next few years but wh- where do you see him going and what do you see him sort of specializing in one area down the Hon- line or? honest answer that's going to be a question that only tom knows the difficulty with him is is he's so good at everything yeah so he yeah. could potentially be an alaphilippe style rider yeah no, um, he, he can do whatever he wants. He can win. He can win mountain stages. Yeah, but he can win a bunch sprint. He wins bunch sprints. He wins criteriums in bunch sprints. Yeah, it's just he's he's phenomenal. I mean, he won the he won the British Pro Crit Champs when he was a junior. That finished up a cobble climb and then a ninety degree left hand turn. And he hit him at the bottom. This is in Sheffield. He hit them at the bottom of the cobble climb. Smashed it up the climb. Nailed the last corner. No one could get near him. And he's beating the likes of John Mould, Harry Tanfield, Bibby McAvoy, Tobin Horton. You know they are. They're the best crit rider in the world. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing. I, th- I think it's so great for the sport seeing like Tom and Matthew Van der Poel and Walt Van Aert and sort of cross discipline approach into yeah, the ro- into okay. the roadside as well. I think it's yeah. great for the development of the sport as a whole as well. Exactly. Exciting times. Yeah, super exciting times. Super exciting times. We we got sidetracked, didn't we? So we we were sort of, sort of saying what's next for Spats? And, what's next for Spats? Yeah. What's next is I. It's I'm ridiculously busy. Yeah. So we're quite a lean team. I do most of the legwork. I do the you know the ideas, the design, the development, the testing. I work with the factories. I work with the retailers. I do all the sampling. That's kind of my thing. Yeah. And then we have um, a full-time sales consultant now, uh, Jakob, that we brought in maybe six months ago. He does this, the sales side of things, which is great for me. It lets me focus. And then we've Alistair and Ivan, who are my business partners. So between the five of us, and in addition to Jack and Bill, who do some of our admin, that's it. So we're quite a lean, we're quite a lean team. Yeah, because we're so lean, I have to take on a lot of the workload. Yeah, and I just have to keep a a, a, a cool head and be able to carry on designing, developing products that are revolutionary because that's what people expect from us now. Yeah. Um, so I've got, I mean, I've got maybe twenty more ideas up my sleeve. Really, Amazing. I really enjoy doing it. You know, I love developing the kit, and I can't, I, I can't believe that people, other brands, haven't thought of this before. Yeah. So, so the idea is, let, you know, if we manage to get up to eighteen and nineteen SKUs by September, which is doable, we'll then go for growth again the following year. But I don't take that for granted. Yeah. You know, if you have a product that's just a lemon, it would knock you back because people lose faith in you. Well, yeah, exactly. And you've got this association with sort of different products that work extremely well. You don't want to sort of drop the ball. Exactly. Exactly. That's a bit of pressure, though. It's a bit of pressure. There's a lot of pressure. Yeah, but there's a, there's a, the thing is, there's a massive amount of pressure. But, you know, and I've got no safety net. You know, I started this. I'm, you know, in my own house here, kids downstairs, wife downstairs. There's no safety net, but this is what yeah. I want to do. And then, yeah. you know, I'm determined to make it work. You know, I've got the support partners. I've got, a, we've got a really nice team working together, yeah. but we, we've got to make it work. But it's really exciting. And it, you know, as far as I can see, it will work. Yeah. Amazing. Well, yeah, it's just no hiding. It's great. It's, it's There's no hiding. There's no hiding, but yeah. the products have to be revolutionary. And that's how we sell ourselves. But we've just we've just start, we've just brought out two summer products, which was a bit of a change for us. Okay, so we did what the socks, we did the spat socks. Yes, which yeah, are some socks that I thought someone should have done years ago. So silicon grippers on the sole, just to uh, you know help the junction between rider and shoe. Yeah, also you don't slip over in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then just a, a nice long sock, so three centimeters longer than normal. Nice design, um, wicking high quality yarns. 
uh, that's the sock, and then the cooler base layer, which is a summer stroke indoor base layer, and that was launched a month ago. Okay, and so that's uh, gone down well. People enjoying gone that. Down really well, yeah, it's gone down really yeah. well. Yeah, they're our first kind of look into the summer market, try and keep the revenue coming in twelve months a year. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say that there must be a challenge. Given that's the it. That's it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at the moment we've been very winter heavy with the income, which yeah. has been good. It lets me develop the new kit in the summer, but we need income. You know, now we're kind of paying more people year round yeah you know we yeah. need income in the summer so the cooler base and the socks are helping with that and then i launched the burner gilet a week ago which is i think my favorite product to date which one was that one sorry the, the burner gilet it's oh, a, se- gilet. a seamless gilet yeah oh amazing yeah amazing. so that's brand new as from last week and I think we had a small batch of 100 land, and then we have a batch of 500 land tomorrow. Oh, fantastic. So um, what are they? they? They are sort of wind, windproof. It is. What, what makes it different? It's a, it's a fully seamless construction. So by that, I mean it's made on a tubular machine, like a pair of socks or a pair of tights would be. Ah, so like a hose so is. Wo- yeah, so it's woven, exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a woven product, a little bit like our base layer. Yeah. Uh, because of that manu- that style of manufacture, we can put an awful lot of detail into the weave. So we can choose the yarns, we can choose how thick it is, certain panels, we can give certain areas different amounts of warmth, stretch, wind resistance compression so it's a mega aero fit really really close fitting but it's stretchy enough to stretch all your pockets and then we've put a wind stopping layer on the chest superb and that's kind of a, a sort of three season three to four i've worn it today as a sleeve as a, as a sleeveless jersey yeah okay have you <laughs> yeah <laughs> the arms you, out. yeah exactly. i've had the guns out sun's out guns, <laughs> out. guns out i've had the guns out I've had the guns out. I've had some stupid big sunglasses on. Happy days. Um, happy days. And yeah, so it's gone. It, you know, it's always nerve wracking when you launch a new product. But I think that's tomorrow. So that's coming out tomorrow. The burn, we burn, launched, burn launched it. We launched it a week ago. Yeah. And then the first bulk batch is landing tomorrow. Okay. Oh, hang yeah. on. We're, we're we're publishing this tomorrow. So today, it's out today. Today, it's out today. <laughs> it's out today. Go buy it. Go and have a look. Go, Go buy, buy it. it. Get, get, get your PayPal's and your Apple Pay's out. <laughs> get, it, get it sorted. And, get it um, sorted. Obviously, you've got all these new new products coming out, and they start as a sketch or an idea. From you, from, is it still really exciting when when you get the final product to try out for the first time? It's really exciting. I have samples yeah. landing most days. Do you? Yeah. That must be a massive thrill. Yeah, I it is imagine. a thrill, but I had a parcel arrive yesterday, and I've got to be careful here not to upset the family. But I had a parcel at DHL, and I opened it. It's a new product. Can't tell you what it is, but the sample was just rubbish. And your oh, heart no. just sinks. Your heart just sinks. Yeah. All right, look, it needs more work. But, I mean, you've got to go through this process to get it right. I mean, I think yeah. the, the overshoe is something like 30 or 40 samples to get it right. Really? Yeah, because you've got to. Striving for perfection, I suppose. You've well, got to, you've got to put something on it. that hugs yeah. your ankles, hugs, hugs your calf and shoes, but is waterproof, doesn't drop down, can get it over your ankles. You know, it's a, it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like the way you're taking a slightly different approach. I mean, I think like a parallel, and I'm not sort of sort of bibs and tops, but just generally accessories and a parallel. So much of it's it's white labeled and it's kind of mass produced. And it is. It's, I really like how you're giving you know proper design, a real thought behind the products you're doing, and and that's not. What you know, everyone else is just a design game, well, isn't it? Put different it is. I think. Or... I think if we 
if we wanted to just have a clothing company, we could probably make more money doing jerseys and shorts. I imagine. Yeah. I guess I don't yeah. know. But that wouldn't excite me. It wouldn't. It wouldn't excite Ivan or Alistair either. You know, we like developing revolutionary products that no one's seen before. Yeah. And we're, I like wearing it out on. We have a training ride called the Buckden Run. In you know, it goes from Leeds up to Buckden in North Yorkshire. It's like five hours door to door. And I like wearing it in wearing the new kit in November, December, and that. And getting back thinking, wow, this is you know, this is not cold here. This is the next. This is the next thing. This is it. This is it. And this I bet he made no, it. I, we, we've developed it. Yeah. 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 You know, this is going to go, and then you, you know, and you think right, but everything you know, every little success like that brings up the problems of right. Can we protect it? Can someone else pinch it? Who's going to make it? You know, yeah, can I? Can we raise the investment? That's the other one. Yeah. So, you, is that something you're doing at the moment, or in the process of, or are you always looking for investors? I'm open to conversations between the three of us, Alistair, Ivan, and myself. We're very content at the moment. We're very happy with the growth. We can. We are at the moment. Everything we've bought. We um, all the batches we've bought for this coming season, we've bought organically, as in there's been no there's been no financial input. Yeah, you know we've done purely from sales revenue from last year, which is great. You know there'll come a point where we need more money in the bank, and you know that'll be a conversation between the three of us. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, if, if anyone's listening, we'll put your email in. Yeah, I mean we're always we're certainly always open to conversations. Yeah. You know we 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 are you know we're very ambitious. We're very ambitious. What we don't want to do is lose. Our creativity, yeah, just your become, uniqueness as well. Um, yeah, exactly. Just become an other brand that bangs yeah, out, yeah, yeah. You know, whatever it may yeah. be. Yeah, we like, I like having, I like being able to visit the factory, yeah, and say, look, you know, what's this yarn? And they say, oh, that's Cool Max. Well, why aren't we using that? Oh, well, it's expensive. All right, we'll make a sample out of Cool Max. You try it on. This is the cooler base layer. And you go, wow, this is the best. This is the best base layer I've worn in twenty years. Why has no one else done this? Oh well, the the, the yarn's quite expensive. How expensive? It's expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's an yeah. expensive yarn, but we're not using a lot of it. It's a, you know, it's a perforated product. But it, but using that cool max yarn makes the product ten ten times better. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a challenge of, oh well, you can't print on it a certain way. Well, we'll print on it another way. Yeah, we don't need to sublimate on it or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, the exciting part. But no one's no most. And, and as, as I mentioned before, you know, ninety nine percent of the industry doesn't think that way. It's kind of like, okay, what can we do as cheaply as possible and sell for as much as possible? So it's refreshing, I think. Thank you. Yeah, very good. So you mentioned you're still managing to ride through lockdown. I've been averaging four to four and a half hours a week, which is nowhere yeah. near as much as I'd like to do. It just keeps my footing with the local pro riders, um, sort of fitness-wise, but also, like I said, I need to try and, you know, I've got to keep on the cutting edge of cycling and cycle clothing technology, but also the training, um, you know, and it's good It's good to mix with those lads. Um, good for the mind as well. Say that again? It's good for the mind it's as well. It's good for the mind. Well, I would just crack up. I've got, I'm, you know, I'm a competitive animal. Yeah. But a typical yeah. ride for us, Tuesday morning, we meet up. I mean, I do an hour 20 on a Tuesday morning. Yeah. Meet 10 minutes from home and we do what we call the hour of power. This is where my videos <laughs> come from on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. We meet up and this might be both Brownlee brothers, Scott Thwaites, Tom Pidcock, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's like the who's who of bike riding and triathlon around here. Yeah. And we do a through and off session for 60 minutes. And that 60 minutes through lockdown was we're starting off still doing the same loops. We do two different loops, but we're doing it a minute apart. We weren't going anywhere near each other. And you just try to set off first, I'm the slowest, and then, you know, 20 minutes in, 
one of the Brownleys catches me, and then it, you know, it just it's brilliant. Where where else can you do that in life? No, I exactly. can kick about with David Beckham. He's, yeah, exactly. It is, isn't it? Right, it and is, that's it is. It, is. it keeps me fit. Everything's logged on Strava, you know, and and these lads are doing because it, we're all competitive animals. Like, I think I think Alistair on this hour loop, he can catch me for six minutes. Right, wow. that shows the level. You know, I'm a reasonable forty two year old. He's he's the Olympic champ. You know, that's the difference. Yeah, six he's, minutes uh, is massive over an hour, isn't it? Could he be a cyclist? Yeah, yeah, both could. Yeah, yeah. In a, in a, in a heartbeat, he'd have to cheat. But the question is, why would he? No, of course. Yeah, of course. Of he course. could be a cyclist tomorrow. Well, Absolutely. you could be a runner as well, couldn't he? <laughs> he could be a runner. He could be a swimmer. Could do what he wants. But you know, yeah, yeah. Why would he? That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, amazing. Very cool. But yeah, I do, uh, do, I do the hour of power once a week, sometimes twice a week, and then I do as sad as this is at my age, I do hill repeats on a Saturday, five times three minutes VO two and a local climb, and then I go home, and that's it. Four hours a week through lockdown. It's going along nicely. I, well, I'm going all right. I'm. It's hard. It's it's hard to out train a normal diet if you're only doing four hours a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like a beer. I'm not a racer now. I like a beer. You know, I like a curry. Yeah. You know. Why wouldn't you? Enjoy it. You've had too many years of not eating anything and training 40 hours a week, right? Exactly. I had enough years of coming back and being concerned about eating and, you know, those days have gone. Yeah. Well, particularly with young kids, right? It's too much. (laughs) Massively too much. You know, I have young coaching clients and I say, look, I just say, listen, you've got to fuel your body. If you want your body to work right, you've got to fuel it correctly. Yeah. You know, an engine's nothing without fuel, is it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a big focus on it. Too much, maybe. Too much, maybe. Where's your favourite place in the world to ride? Yorkshire Dales? Favourite place in the world? I've got to say Yorkshire Dales. Yeah, around it's here. magic up there. I bloody love, love it. it. I've been out this morning. Yeah. I've been out around Bolton Abbey this morning. Yeah. Mega. You know, it's yeah. just mega. Um, second favourite place, Bermuda. Bermuda? Bermuda. I was fortunate enough to ride the Tour of Bermuda eight times in my time. Talk. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell us a bit about Bermuda. I didn't even know. It was a race called the Conyers, Dill and Perman Tour of Bermuda. It used to be held uh, in September, so right after the Tour of Britain, we used to fly up to Bermuda. Fantastic. Um, cool. And it was a fun race. It was serious. Yeah. I mean, we've raced there with likes of Health Net there. I think it was a round of the American National Crit Series at one point. Oh, wow. So there was yeah. US Postal there, Health Net, Jelly Belly, likes of George Hincapi. Tyler Hamilton, yeah, all those guys race with all them out there. I think Vogels. Uh, I think Vogels. I think God Fraser. Just who's who of riders, but kind of it's strange. Have you been to Bermuda? No, I haven't, no. And I'd never think of it for cycling. Yeah, it's mega. I mean, it was, it was Bacardi that sponsored it one year, and they just used to fly us out there, and we'd do like rock and roll crits in the dark. So you'd ride an hour crit with your heroes, win yeah. some prize money, and then straight into the bar. <laughs> on the Bacardi afterwards yeah because it's the end of the season it's the last race of the year so I remember one crit in particular Hamilton High Street I was in a team with me Russ Downing who was at HealthNet Dean Downing who was at DFL with me and Matt Bramier who was at DFL with me Brilliant. and I think from memory Russ won the race and I think me, myself Dean and Matt were all in the first 10 fantastic so we just won, a, won some money, you know, straight in the bar. Brilliant. Rock and roll. Happy days. The good old days. <laughs> the good old days. And now you've got a 13-week-year-old and you're getting out four times in the night. 
how things change. I mean, don't, yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't change it, but how things change. Of course, yeah, it does, right? It's mad. It's mad. Look, I know, I know that you are super busy. So, firstly, a, a massive thank you for taking the time to come and have a chat with oh, us. Thank you. Just so that everyone knows, we'll put your details and uh, everything in the show notes. Is there anything that I've missed in terms of products and stuff like that? I'm sure I probably have been nattering away, but do get on the on the website. I, I mean, I love the overshoes and products are fantastic. I love the thought behind it and yeah really good stuff thank you very much cool have i missed anything don't think so don't think so i think we're good we're good you're a gentleman thank you for taking the time and we'll catch up very soon thank you very much lovely to speak to you speak to you later cheers, cheers. thanks mate Bye-bye. bye thanks for listening please subscribe to the podcast and more importantly don't forget to download the unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub we'll see you on there